We're continuing our church-wide Bible study in the book of Nehemiah, chapter by chapter in this season. We're in chapter 11, and it is an incredibly strategic time for us to explore what's taking place in this hour of Israel, Jerusalem, in the Bible, in Nehemiah 11, and how aligning it is to what's taking place in this hour today. Um, Nehemiah is addressing the need as they have come and rebuilt the walls. They've restored the work of God. People are gathering around the presence of God, hearing the word of God. They're being awakened uh, to the purposes of God. And we've been progressively seeing this in these chapters. And now what's happening is things have been restored, and Nehemiah is addressing the need for people to occupy this particular city. The, the challenges that existed were the city had been in ruins, and so that comes with it a lot of complications, producing um, a lot of enemies on every side, which again, indicative of what has taken place over the course of centuries now in that same particular city. We're going to understand just how strategic that city is in the mind of God uh, as a result of looking at this today, why all of the conflict surrounds this very tiny piece of real estate. I know there are a lot of emotions and a lot of directions about this issue, but what we want to do is just stay true to this text, particularly as we get started, and we want to evaluate something even within our own hearts. But ultimately what's happening, God is using Nehemiah to restore kingdom influence to an extremely strategic city uh, in the world in which you and I live today. So Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5, is where we begin. Have your Bibles. We read the word. Starting verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And then it names this long list of many names of the families who were moving on this missional assignment to an area to devote themselves to what God was desiring to do in that particular uh, region, that particular city specifically. So again, we had, I think, three different chapters that look like a Jewish phone book. Uh, I've heard from some people that are reading the, the book of Nehemiah saying it gets pretty tough when you get to all those names. I just remind you, if you go to your uh, Bible app, you can push play, and it'll pronounce those names beautifully for you. <clears throat> I did that one, uh, one Sunday just so I got all the names right. And we went through that little journey. But I've had a number of people say they didn't realize they could do that, and they're starting to listen to the Bible now uh, through that app. I, I, I want to I read the Word. I want to know God. Um, I want to not only read the Word, I want to hear the Word. I want to listen to the Word. I'm, I'm actually starting now to write the Word. I'm writing the book of Ephesians in this journal. And like I've never done that before, you know, as far as a full text and I have a different interaction with God as I'm writing those verses. So I would invite you, whatever you need to do to help you grow in an understanding of God's Word, it will awaken the nature of Christ within you. And we are desperately lost without the nature of Christ redeeming us from our sinful nature. How many of you know that's true? We can play religious games all we want to, but without Him, it, it's bad. Uh, and, and I'm going to point this out in a moment, but I want us to know this up front. The, the storyline of the Bible 
is not good people versus bad people. The storyline of the Bible is bad people needing Jesus. That changes the way we view the world around us. And so I just want to ask you a question. Would you say that you are a Sermon on the Mount type of Christian? A Sermon on the Mount type of Christian. You know, this is about brokenness and humility and the fear of the Lord and the love uh, that we allow God to awaken within our heart for all humanity. How many of you know it's easy to love people who love you? It's difficult to love people who hate you. It's impossible to love people who do these horrific things that we're seeing in the news. Without the love of Christ melting our hearts, we can't do it. A Sermon on the Mount type of Christian is somebody who is so surrendered to the love of Christ that they allow his love to actually awaken a deeper spiritual maturity than this heinous emotional reaction to what's going on in the world around us. I want you to think about what I'm saying. Uh, I'm going to get to some things. Again, there are a few times that I'll hit some hot-button topics. Today's going to be one of those. The temptation for anybody standing in my role, and I see it happen with a lot of pastors right now going on, and it's very sad. The temptation is to get up and get you spun up because you're probably already politically charged over a lot of the issues that I'm going to begin to point to. And if I can get you spun up, then we really have a time of interacting together. And we walk out of here and we feel like we've had church, but it's easy to actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God because there was no love in the midst of any of it. So my question is, when you're looking at what's going on in the world, around within our nation and in other nations of the world surrounding Israel, all these things, we all have these deep emotions. But my question is, when you see these things, do you see what God sees? When you see these things, do you see what God sees? Do you feel what God feels? So today I want to talk to you about, as these people were being asked to come into the dangers of this city to live as a missional assignment from God, God was doing that because he was wanting to awaken people of light to push back the kingdom of darkness. God wants to awaken kingdom of light to push back darkness. And so the title out of this Nehemiah 11 today is The Spiritual Battle of Darkness and Light. And we all need to understand something. Darkness, if you look at the origin of the word darkness, it comes from the same origin as the word ignorance. That's why if somebody is in the dark about something, they don't understand or they're ignorant about a bit of information. It's also the opposite is true because if somebody is enlightened, then they have knowledge. And the origin of the word light is the same as the origin of the word uh, knowledge. And so the kingdom of God is the kingdom of light or a kingdom of enlightenment. And the kingdom of darkness where the enemy likes to operate is a kingdom of ignorance. This is not just a plan of the enemy. What, what I'm about to say right now is so vital to everything that we get everything right at the core that we're about to build on. The enemy doesn't just want to get you 
misinformed and, and ignorant about the things of God. He wants to get you emotionally charged in the wrong direction so you can never see what God's desiring you to see because you are so emotionally charged. And many Christians in the political climate that we live in today have allowed their, theological, their, their theology to be politically charged in such a way that they are more emotionally charged than they are spiritually mature. And I'm asking God to help us grow in being more spiritually mature than we are politically charged or emotionally charged. Will you help me usher that in, every one of us, in unity? Can we agree for God to help us with this? This is vital. It's just the truth that the church that we live, the day that we live in and the church that exists around us, we can come in and get people wound up and spun up and emotional about a message and not even discern, did we hear what the Spirit of God was trying to reveal in the midst of that? So let's break this down and let's take a look. We're, we're looking historically at what Nehemiah was doing to restore this very sacred city that's instrumental in the influence of God's kingdom on the planet. And so this is what we know. A spiritual awakening began happening as they restored the work of God. They rebuilt the walls. They restored the work of God, gathering around God's presence, the reading of God's Word, what we're doing here today. Aren't you thankful for this privilege to come together in unity as God's family? None of us have it all together. Please don't think I have it all together. Uh, you probably are fully aware that I don't. But, I mean, let, let's not put that pressure in any direction. Only one person has it all together. His name is Jesus. And even when we're messing things up a little bit, he's there orchestrating and, and will help us get it right. The more we walk in a state of humility and the fear of the Lord, the more the kingdom of God is expressed through our lives. The more we walk in a sense of self-serving confidence, it produces arrogance and pride and an abrasive disposition, the less God's kingdom actually gets promoted in the earth. And without God's kingdom, there can be no repentance because repentance becomes the foundation of the kingdom breaking in. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So this spiritual awakening began happening in this process. And, and, and we need to understand, a spiritual awakening does involve the legal system. Hear me loud and clear. United States of America, we, we need some legal involvement. This, I, I, you know I'm always saying uh, we need to pray, we need to press, and that's our first response, not our last resort. Uh, but, but I understand, and we see it with Nehemiah, spiritual awakening involved the legal system. He functioned within the legal structure accordingly to bring all of this about. Spiritual awakening does involve the political system. We need to understand that. He functioned in the realm of rallying political support to be able to accomplish what God was calling him to do. There was a process and an order. Now, remember, before he did any of this stuff, I'm just rehearsing some of what we've talked about, before he did any of this stuff, the first thing he did was he prayed. He fasted and prayed. What is the first thing we should be doing as Christians? Praying, fasting and praying. Taking upon ourselves our first and foremost citizenship. I don't know if you understand what I'm about to say or not, but you are not an American Christian. You are a Christian American. 
Your citizenship in heaven comes first before any nationality in this earth. When your citizenship in heaven comes first, then nations can begin to function and get together in unity. Spiritual awakening involves the legal system. Spiritual awakening involves the political system. Spiritual awakening does involve sacrificial giving. I mean, we saw Nehemiah raise incredible amount of money. And people could have said, oh, yeah, you get around the work of God. It's just all about the money. He raised an incredible amount of money to establish this work that then produced a phenomenal outpouring that awakened humanity in a profoundly significant way. I, was looking, I just happened to stumble onto some pictures the other day of when this, house, uh, this room, well, the whole building, was uh, the warehouse during the terrible tornado that took place in Moore. And many of us were in here before this building was ever built. And, and I mean, we had, I, I forget, like 90 semi-loads of uh, pallets of supplies for our community. And we were the city of Moore's south north warehouse. We were their warehouse on the north side. And, and, I, and I remember just suspending all emphasis of trying to focus on building the building. And we just began to devote ourselves to doing whatever it took to, to meet the need around us. We mobilized car packages in the place of care packages. We were actually going into the places. And I just remember looking at all that, realizing, listen, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. Everybody all the time finding anything you can do to make a difference in the world that exists around you. And when I realized, like, we were maneuvering all of that and then we were able to to position ourselves to get everything finished and here we are celebrating in this building and you know what we still want to do everybody everywhere doing everything they can to see God's kingdom expand in your five-foot circle and beyond but that didn't happen just because we hoped it happened like people sacrificially gave they loved, they served, they gave, and we continue to do that. We worship the Lord with our giving. We want to focus in the legal system. We want to focus in the political system. We want to focus in the realm of even personal generosity by worshiping the Lord with our tithes and then just being generous in, in the way that we walk this out. A variety of gifted people sacrificially devoted themselves to the eternal purposes of God. And out of that, the community came alive. I mean, we have to see God's people came alive, and when God's people came alive, their dead, decaying society came alive. This is such an important statement. We've said this statement through the years, and today we want to say the statement loud and clear. Because some of us are blaming bad people for the problems in the world around us. But the problem in our world is not the abundance of darkness. The problem in our world is the absence of light. The Bible doesn't say, when bad people stop acting bad, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. It says, when my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray. I will hear from heaven. Heaven will invade the earth. Hearts will begin to be awakened. People's lives will begin to be transformed. And if you're allowing yourself to verge into any type of a mindset that becomes a hateful Christian, a hating Christian, listen, just 
Human activity can't produce the reaction of who you become or you're giving control to human activity around you. Did you know love your enemy is actually a foundational basis of everything that we believe? This is uncomfortable for me to say. I know it's uncomfortable for you to hear because, man, there's some stuff going on that we're looking at and, and we're spun up. And, and rightfully so, there needs to be a proper response and we're going to get to that. But the first response needs to be a response of allowing Jesus to do a work within our heart and maybe helping us understand just how in touch we're not with a spiritual response first. Father, would you just help us understand it is vitally important that we walk in obedience to you to be able to see your kingdom transform the world in Jesus' mighty name. God's plan is for all of us to release heaven into earth, bringing the full impact of a good God and a prosperous kingdom to a world in desperate need of God's love. I want you to think about that. God's plan is for all of us to release heaven into earth, bringing the full impact of a good God and a prosperous kingdom to a broken world in desperate need of God's love. So I want to ask you for a one-word vote. I'm going to give you the phrase, and then I'm going to say one, two, three, and I want with one word, I want you to give your vote. The, the word is either better or worse, okay? Is the world that you and I live in getting better or worse? Either say better or worse with your vote. Ready? One, two, three. I, I know you're, you're watching for the trickery of the theology, aren't you? <laughs> with Jesus, we're believing for the transformation of our world. But in the realm of humanity, how many of you know we continue to slouch toward Gomorrah more and more every day? What this means is that there are two philosophies that exist in the world that you and I live in, two, two general divides, and, and we need to understand those. You know, it's, uh, for those of us who've been uh, around for a few decades, we, we heard the term coming out, you know, years ago, secular humanism began to be a real hot-button idea. What that secular humanism is, is it's got its roots in uh, Marxism, socialism, Marxism, communism, that secular humanism, uh, that idea, what we would call today progressive wokeism. It's the same stream, same idea. And you need to understand this, because that idea says man is basically good. And man left to himself will actually evolve to a better place and the world will become a better place. That is contrary to the reality of what God's Word says and that's a philosophy we don't ascribe to. I, if I am left to myself, I will destroy myself in this life and in the life to come. The Bible says I need a Savior to rescue me from myself. And he even comes and says you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, accept Christ, walk in the ways of God's kingdom, and, and fulfill the eternal plan that I have for your life. These are two different streams of thought. 
And if we leave the world as it is, it's not going to evolve into a better place. It's going to decline into greater and greater uh, uh, problematic disposition. And so the idea of evangelism is offensive to progressive wokeism because then I am addressing you with a, a matter of truth when a progressive wokeism says you be left alone to decide your own truth, your own reality. And if everybody's left alone, then this evolution of, of betterment will actually result. That is not a biblical idea. You have to understand there's a progression in the world system that's ultimately leading to the revealing of the Antichrist according to Scripture. In Genesis, what we read to be a serpent shows up in Revelation as a dragon. It's getting bigger. It's growing. God's people are called to live countercultural lives in alignment with God's kingdom. And this was the case in Nehemiah's day, and this is the case in our day. In Nehemiah, God's hand was upon Israel. And Israel was attacked from every side by enemies that wanted to destroy them. Much like we see today. God and Satan both realize this city of Jerusalem is a strategic point of influence for our world. Why do we have 4,000 years of what would be called holy war against this tiny piece of real estate? Like, Israel is one-eighth the size of the state of Oklahoma. We've got a, a, a picture. <clears throat> one-eighth the size of Oklahoma. Like, why is this tiny piece of real estate so all-consuming to the world's attention? Where's all this hostility coming from? And we need to understand this if we're going to have a biblical worldview about the situation. What we're talking about is Abraham's homeland. That's what we're talking about. That's why this is such a big deal. So Abraham and his wife Sarah are told by God that they're going to have a promised child. And what's the promised child's name? Isaac. And Isaac then would begat Jacob, who would become Israel, and God's blessing would be established through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Jacob would have 12 sons, and we would call them the 12 sons of Israel, and the blessing of God would so cause them to prosper that they would become the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the patriarchs of our faith. But it was a little bit of a journey getting to the fulfillment of that promise. And Abraham had a conversation with his wife, Sarah, after years of waiting and not seeing God fulfill what they thought was the timing that, you know, God missed. How many of you know God's late sometimes? Uh, uh, actually, he's really never late, but he sure misses a lot of chances to be early. I've learned that about walking with the Lord. And so here, you know, they're like, okay, okay, okay. And so she, she like says, hey, listen, let's take my maid. Her name's Hagar. And theologically, we've, we derive that she's from Egypt. It's a little bit of conjecture, but, but most likely that's where they got her was when he lied about her in Egypt. And then they were like, oh, your wife's beautiful. Why did you tell us that's your sister here? And they sent him with, you know, different riches and blessings and, they, and likely sent her with a maid in that moment in time. 
Uh, and so Hagar most likely was of Egyptian descent. And, and Sarah says, hey, I'm going to introduce Hagar to you because I can't seem to have a baby. And so Hagar goes into the bedroom with Abraham. Abraham and Hagar then have a baby. That baby's name is Ishmael. And Ishmael then, over the course of time, this is a really elaborate story, but he's about 13 years older than uh, his, his young, like 13 years later, the promised son is actually born. Isaac is born, and, and a lot is taking place. And again, theologically, we can get into a lot of these deep dive discussions, but, but there was a lot of dissension that was happening in the house of Abraham, and Sarah and Hagar were not getting along, and now there was great jealousy over the, the, the true promised son versus the maid's son and, and, and Sarah says get out of the house and she tells Abraham get them out of the house and Abraham gets them out of the house and they, they're, they're sent away and, and he's more of an orphan than he is a son and we see the parallel of an orphan and a son in the very beginning of the promise and, and God's help to the promise and, and, and what's crazy is that, that Ishmael actually survives being abandoned from the home and he has 12 sons and 12 sons become 12 tribes and, and here's a picture of that progression of, of the way that breaks down you've got Isaac and Jacob and their 12 sons and you've got Ishmael and his 12 sons and you've got all this conflict that was happening in the home of Abraham that actually is the basis of all this conflict that's happening in the homeland of Abraham do you understand it's important that we get this because the lineage of Ishmael is actually predicted and, and the Bible reveals the fate of this lineage. Genesis chapter 16 verse 12, Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility against or toward all his brothers. You see, Islam teaches that God chose Hagar, not Sarah, and that God chose Ishmael, not Isaac. Where you and I believe that Isaac carried wood up a hill on his back, and at the top of that hill uh, was laid back on the wood as a sacrificial offering that God spared his life. And, and by the way, my view, he was obviously a full grown to be able to carry wood up, up a, that mountain. Uh, in my Again, theological opinion, he was a true 33-year-old type of Christ who would later in that same area carry a wooden cross up a hill and be laid back on the wood to be a sacrificial offering for yours and my sin. But the thing is, Islam doesn't teach that Abraham took Isaac up there. Islam teaches Abraham took Ishmael. Islam teaches that God chose Ishmael. Hagar, not Sarah, and God chose Ishmael, not Isaac. And you need to understand, the descendants of Isaac are the Jews and ultimately Christians. And you know this big chant, kill the Jews, kill the Christians, it's coming from this divide that goes all the way back 
to the, the conflict in the home, that's the conflict in the homeland, because the descendants of Ishmael are Arabs and Palestinians. Ultimately, Hamas has been born out of that. Hezbollah, which is becoming more of a player in what's taking place in today's world, is, is something that we're going to learn more about and look more at. Uh, it's needing tissue. Gracias, muchacho. Thank you. <laughs> Moncoso. <laughs> you think I would... I, I'm tempted to go funny for a moment, but this is such a serious issue. Islamic eschatology, their end-time belief and teaching, is they will rule over all. You and I will convert or we will die. This is what many would describe as um, Islamic extremism, but it's ultimately when you look at the teaching of the Quran, slay the infidel, smite their neck, you start seeing where this all comes from. And, and, and I want to just point something out so that we all understand. Sometimes it's important because we've got a lot of, you know, varying perspectives. We're seeing all these riots taking place all over the world. And like, where are we? Where should we believe in? And sometimes you just need to hear us as a church family, as a, as a spiritual leadership in your life, to stand up and make a statement about things like this. And you need to know what our specific position is as a spiritual covering for our church family. And so I want to make sure you, you hear this loud and clear. Hamas attacked innocent civilians and it did so on a Saturday, the Sabbath. Not only was it Sabbath, it was the conclusion of Sukkot, the Jewish holiday that we landed on in the book of Nehemiah, if you remember, whenever we came to that. Which was kind of interesting that we were learning about it the very week that it was, take, that it was taking place. Innocent civilians were visiting family members and they were most vulnerable when they were slaughtered, tortured, and uh, their phones were used to send these uh, videos of torture and slaughter to contacts in their phones to further terrorize families in the world that you and I live in. It was absolutely demonic. It was absolutely demonic, and we need to understand that. So hear me when I say to you, our position is very clear. This is a very just war. Israel is justified in their response to this terrorist attack on civilians. It wasn't a military attack on soldiers. It was a terrorist attack on civilians. Israel then, in response, gives notice to innocent people to leave. You get the difference in these two. One is the facilitation of death. The other is the facilitation of life. Again, we have the distinction of two philosophical expressions from the very top down, this, this progression of these ideas and this ideology so important that we understand it and we recognize it. So Israel gives notice to innocent people to leave. Hamas uh, attacked innocent people as their target. They refuse to let their own people leave because they want to utilize them as human shields and facilitate worldwide riots that will produce greater political pressure against Israel. Even in the midst of the horror, 
we need to remind ourselves once again, this is not good people versus bad people. The storyline of the Bible is bad people need Jesus. 2% 2 of Israel's 8 million people are Christians. Interestingly, 2% of Palestinian occupied territory are Christians. Until Jesus is Lord of them all, until Jesus is Lord of us all, there will never be reconciliation. The answer to all of this is everyone bows their knees to Jesus. He rules over all of us rather than us trying to rule over each other. We humble ourselves before the Lord. Come on, more than that. We're, we're really serving a purpose right now. Can we just honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords? The only hope for all humanity. I'm going to ask that the worship team will come. God's plan for all of us is to release heaven into earth, bringing the full impact of a good God and a prosperous kingdom to a broken world in desperate need of God's love. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Dr. King so eloquently said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I want to issue you a great challenge in this moment of history. Do not let your heart cultivate hate, no matter how heinous the circumstances may be that you see. If you were in the circumstance and suffering firsthand, the message would be the same. Do not let hate awaken hate in your heart. One of the most fundamental basic things that all of us need to understand is we are called by God to love our enemies. How does that fit? with where you are in alignment with all that's taking place. I understand this is deeply complicated. I'm telling you, I, yesterday, I, I walk and pray. It's a lot of how I pray into Sunday. And Lexi, our daughter, was sitting there, and I said, I, I just got to go take some more time. She said, you're going on another prayer walk? <laughs> Like I'm walking in the rain and cold just praying because I just am so burdened for us, for the world in which we live. May our hearts grow tender to him. And may we all be reminded Jesus didn't die so we could casually come to church. Jesus didn't die so you could casually come to church. He died so you would find your place 
in the eternal cause of Christ so that the kingdom of God would break into the earth and everywhere we go, we would bring God's presence to real life, awakening his kingdom in the hearts and lives, every person within our reach. This begins first by you humbling yourself and bowing your knee at the foot of the cross saying, I can't do this on my own. Within myself, left to myself, I will grow in hate. I need the love and the life of Jesus Christ to awaken something within me that does not exist within me outside of Christ. Come on, let's stand to our feet. We want to honor the Lord Jesus today. If you've not surrendered your life to Christ, then I would invite you to understand the single most important decision you will ever make while standing on planet earth is to understand that Jesus came, he lived, he died. He didn't deserve anything that he suffered and faced on our behalf. He lived a sinless life by the power of the Spirit of God. And yet he paid the price of sin for the wages of sin is death. He paid a price he did not owe on our behalf. Do you understand that today? Have you surrendered your life to Christ today? Not that you have it all figured out, but there's got to be a starting point where you understand the Holy Spirit is convicting me to surrender to the cross of Christ. And then we walk out all these other things. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But come on, if you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, he came to rescue you from your sin, would you say out loud, real loud, amen? <laughs> we acknowledge, Lord, you are who you say you are. And Jesus, we recognize that you didn't suffer and die on a cross so we could just casually show up to church when we find it convenient with all of life's busyness going on as if this life is more important than kingdom. Would you help us make heads or tails of this? Help us in leading our children in this understanding of the value of living from a perspective of eternity as our primary way of life. In Jesus' mighty name. There's a bigger picture. There's a greater story than your own single century of life you're going to live on this planet and we want to give ourselves to the eternal perspective of God and we're, we're growing in that as a church we're learning more what that is all the time I'm growing in that as a Christian our team, our staff is growing in that we're having deep conversations about what it means just to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord personally as believers I invite you on this journey and I want you to know one time a year we do this thing called welcome to the family and it's where we invite people to step into a deeper understanding of God's call for us together as a family if you feel the call of God to be a part of the Destiny family like to make that official then we want to invite you into that conversation. There'll be the first Wednesday night of December. We'll come in here for a celebration meal. Our elders are going to lay hands on you. We believe God for an impartation 
in, 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 Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gifts that are in you by the laying on of my hands. There's something of an impartation that helps us live a life that God calls us to live where we walk in a greater understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit in our everyday world. Come on, that's who God's called you to be. We want to partner with you in that process. So if you're interested in that, if you're deciding today you're going to serve the Lord or you're deciding today I want to walk with this church family, then I want you to fill out a connect card and, and drop it in one of our giving stations. They'll talk more about that in conclusion as we dismiss. But we want to be able to have the conversation with you about what that looks like. We're going to worship just for a few moments before we conclude. I, I want to just speak to something. I just sense the Lord prompting me with this. Dedicated eight children today. I, I hear people say, I feel so sorry for the children of our generation, for what they're going to have to face in this generation beyond our lives. I just want to say to you, you were chosen to live in a time such as this, and your children were chosen to live in a time such as their time. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. There is nothing to fear as we put our hope in Christ and we continue to walk forward in the eternal purposes of God. I break that spirit of fear. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So come on, with an aggressive heart, I want us to press in and worship. I invite our, our prayer teams to come. If there's something we can pray with you about, if today you're making a decision to take a step forward in your faith in any way, let us pray with you about that. And would you just join us in just these few moments we have before we're dismissed. Let's take everything that's been awakened within us and give it back to the Lord in an attitude of praise and worship and adoration to the Lord our God.